All right. Good morning, Mountain View. Thanks for uh, gathering with us again on this Sunday morning. Hopefully you're uh, with us. And uh, I'm looking forward to digging into the book of Acts again. I love the first song we sang and uh, the words to it that says, He is not dead, He is alive, and, and that we have this hope in Jesus Christ. And that's really the message of the Acts, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. The, the message is this, that, that He's alive, He's risen, that He is not dead, and, and He sits at the right hand of God now. And this has been the message that has been propelling so far that's launched the church, the first church, the beginning church. Before we dig into Acts chapter 3, just a couple of things, a couple of reminders that I'd like you to participate in. And the first one is our annual commitment card. Our fiscal year began on July 1st, and it runs through June 30th. And so we've just entered this new fiscal year, but we are um, asking like we do every year for you to communicate your intentions for giving. This way we can project our income and then uh, account our expenses to match to match that and know what we'll be able to do. So I'm hopeful if you haven't participated that you will participate in this. Also uh, available is a re-entry gathering um, survey that just has a bunch of questions that we're asking you to fill out just to make sure our plan and the things that we're working on um, certainly kind of match where you all are at. And so if you don't mind, take some time this morning, uh, communicate your intentions about generosity and giving, and then also uh, fill out that survey so that we can have a good idea if our plan uh, is moving in the right direction. Uh, I read this week as I was studying Acts chapter 3, Tim Keller said this. He said, if you understand this miracle, the miracle that we're going to look at in Acts chapter 3, he says, if you understand this miracle, in some ways you'll, under, you'll be able to understand all of them. And I like this concept, and it got me thinking. So I dug in. I started studying this miracle that I actually like anyway. It's probably one of my favorite moments in the book of Acts because just the uproar that it creates. But this is what I learned this week, that the miracle shows us how God feels about suffering in the world and and not just what he feels about it but what he's doing about it it also the miracle reveals what the mission of the church really is what the work of the church really is all about in our world and what it should be about in our world and the miracle not only heals a man with a disability but the miracle also saves this man's soul it provided it proved to the jews that jesus is absolutely who he said he was and that the, the power of the holy spirit was going to empower people to be the blessings of jesus across the world and in addition to that the miracle and the sermon were actually the initiation or the cause for the first persecution in the church uh, the church had been doing great. Uh, they've added 3,000 people one day and 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 the next day. And so you got a total of maybe near 10,000 people who are part of the church now. And this movement seems to be gaining momentum. But all of a sudden, this miracle is now the introduction where Peter is actually told to stop talking about Jesus, to stop preaching about Jesus. And the first inkling of persecution begins. What's most fascinating, or one of the coolest parts about this, this miracle, is it takes us back to Isaiah chapter 35. And Isaiah chapter 35 says this. It was a, it was a prophetic message about the coming Messiah, that the, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the layman leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. 
And so keep that in mind as we dig in this morning, as we look into this miracle, this healing of a lame man. Acts chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, turn with me. It'll be on the screen also. It says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms for those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up, in other words, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Warren Wiersbe says, we, we as sinners can relate to this lame man, this crippled man who had been brought to the gate. In other words, it's a vivid illustration of a lost sinner in that, that he is lame. He is crippled. And as sinners, we are lame and crippled. He could not walk. And, and as sinners, we struggle to walk as a, in a way to please God. And, and he was outside the temple. And as, as sinners, sometimes we're outside of the gathering, the people, the church. He was begging. And, and often as sinners, we, we beg and we search for satisfaction, something that might fill our soul and, and make us satisfied and complete. And, and I love that analogy or that comparison. Yet this man's behavior after he is healed, after the miracle, shows how all Christians should really behave. I mean, think about this. He entered the temple, he belonged to God's servants, and he praised God with them. His walk was new and his walk was different, and he did not run from persecution or hardship or difficult times. He was such a sight to see as he went running and leaping and jumping through the temple courts. He was such a sight to see that a crowd gathered and the officers had no explanation for what just happened. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 11, look what happens. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded. They ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And so people were amazed and, and the word started to spread. And so people rushed to where they were at just to see what was happening. And Peter, being a true preacher, guess what he does? He has a crowd gathered. He begins to preach. He just begins to talk. He begins to tell them about the truth, the story about Jesus and the fact that he's alive and, and that this is our hope. He's not dead. He is alive. This is our hope in Jesus Christ. And so I love this moment because as he stands and as he preaches, he preaches this second dynamic sermon, the first being in Acts chapter 2. He preaches the second dynamic sermon. And I think what happens is this miracle, when we study it and we discover it, Tim Keller says, points us in four different directions. It points us in four different directions as we listen to the sermon and the explanation of what just happened. And so what I want to do is I want to look at those four directions this morning. The first one is this. Upward. The miracle in Peter's sermon, it points upward, meaning that it's centered on Jesus. 
that it's Jesus-centered. And if you remember Acts chapter 2, his first sermon, he pointed everybody to Jesus. And this time in his, the miracle, in the miracle, he didn't say, it's the power of John and I. That's not what Peter said. He said, it's the power of Jesus in us. It's Jesus that we say to you, stand up, be strengthened, and walk. And so it's Jesus-centered. Look at this, Acts chapter 3, verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? See what he's doing? He's saying, this isn't us. He says, the God of Abraham, your God, and the God of Isaac, your God, and the God of Jacob, and the God of the fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you actually delivered to be crucified. Do you remember this? He's just wanting to remind them whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one, Jesus, and asked for a murderer to be released, to be granted to you instead. And you, he says, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. To this, we are his witnesses. Do you remember Acts 1.8? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Of what? That the fact Jesus is alive, that he's at the right hand of God today. And so here's this miracle to kind of solidify and to prove everything. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us this, that it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness. How? By signs, wonders, and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. I mean, this was to solidify. You maybe at best have 10,000 Christians now and the word is beginning to spread. The truth is beginning to spread and the power of, of God is beginning to intersect with the truth and great things are starting to happen. And what Peter is saying, he's saying, listen, this miracle, it proves the message that we are preaching. It's pre pre it's, we're preaching the message of Jesus and the power of Jesus and Jesus' power and, and the Spirit and how the Holy Spirit gives us the power of Jesus. So this miracle is validation of this. In every culture, in every, every professional field, and, and in every, uh, everybody has a different way of accrediting things. And for the early church, he says, to prove we have Jesus, to prove we have Jesus' message and Jesus' power, we're doing what Jesus did. So miracles were God's way of saying, hey, this is really me. This is me. And so let me give you a warning before we dig too deep into, into these miracles or into this particular healing. Um, don't get too caught up in the miracle stuff. Don't try to begin to rationalize it, explain it, or dismiss it. I, I know some people struggle. I've had conversations. You know what? I'm an educated person or, or I'm, I'm a scientific person or, or, or whatever. And so it's hard for me to believe in these miracles and things. But there are certain things in history so extraordinary that any reasonable consideration if we really look at it, we'll only just, what we'll discover is that God is actually a really big God. That's the only thing we'll discover, that he's big. And if we believe in God, then we have to just at a minimum, a minimum acknowledge the possibility of these miracles. We have to. And so what we really need to look at, though, is we need to look at Jesus's life. We need to look at the accounts of his life. We need to look at his character and we need to look at his love and we need to look at his courage and we need to look at his humility and we need to look at his claims and we need to look for the evidence of the resurrection like Peter does. And this is how we find out whether Christianity is true or not. 
And so if we come to grips with all the data that we have about Jesus and how Jesus lived and what Jesus said and, and about the resurrection, then I really believe that we will come to see Jesus really is who he said he is. And I love what Acts 3.16 says. Look at this. And his name, his name, faith in his name has made this strong, this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man the perfect health in the presence of all of you. In other words, Peter's saying, this isn't about us. This miracle points towards Jesus, upward. It's Jesus-centered, and we can't dismiss that. There's another direction that this miracle points us, and it's actually forward. And what does it tell us? It tells us about future restoration. When God uses Jesus and he uses Peter and John and he uses Paul to perform miracles, these miracles were never big, huge power displays. In other words, when this man was healed, the earth didn't shake or, or the clouds didn't move in. There wasn't lightning and thunder. It wasn't like this, this massive thing. There were other people who certainly could have been healed that day. But what happens is we see, we see, we see them just doing what they could do without this massive display of power. Why? Well, let me ask another question. Why is it that all the miracles, all of the miracles that we see actually deal with human suffering or human trouble? I mean, think about it. The woman who's been suffering for years touches the outer garment of Jesus's cloak. And guess what? Power departs from him. The centurion pleads for Jesus to come because his daughter is sick. The widow had just lost her son, and Jesus raises him to life. All of these, all of these miracles that we read about in the scriptures teach us and tell us about human suffering. They address human suffering and trouble. And the reason is this, because I think all of these miracles, especially this one, it points us to the future forward to the end of all things to the end of history when God is going to restore everything listen God is not he did not he did not invent blindness lameness suffering disease he didn't create a world filled with hate and and war and death you got to go all the way back you remember the garden of eden this is not how things were we were created with the intention to serve God and, and to care for his creation. However, humans, we turned away from God. And, and when we turned away from God, everything fell apart. And this is when poverty and injustice and sickness and disease and death, it all exploded into existence. And in this miracle and in other miracles, we're being shown that God is no happier no happier with the world as it is than you are or I am. Miracles remind us that God did not create a world with suffering and sickness and death and war and hatred in it. We are reminded that someday God is going to deal with all of those things. He's going to restore us back to what it was. He's, we have forward thinking here, forward restoration here. Look what Peter says in Acts chapter 3, verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive. Here it is. 
until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And I, this is so cool because what Peter's saying is, listen, this miracle, this thing that just happened to this guy that you've walked by for days, almost every day, brought to the same place every day at the same time to beg for a livelihood, the very things that happened to this man today, they are showing us something about the future restoration of the world. And so the Jews, as he's talked about the prophets, and he said the prophets have foretold this, the Jews would have immediately recognized that he was talking about Isaiah. So go back to Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5. It says this, And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isaiah does the work to help us understand that God would send a Messiah to purchase the healing of the world. To, to heal the brokenness. To heal the pain and the disease. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. For our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah tells his listeners that through Jesus' work, all the pain of the earth will be reversed. All the brokenness will be fixed. And look at this. Let me read some more from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11. Picture this in your mind. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf shall be together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned, weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. This is pointing us to the future when God is going to reverse and to correct everything that's wrong. Look at Isaiah 35. We've read this twice now, but listen to it again. That the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Here it is. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams break forth in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. See, the evil will depart. And the goodness will come. Isaiah 49 verse 18 says, Lift up your eyes around and see. They all together, they come to me. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride, as a, on as a bride does. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hands to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. The biblical miracles are actually pointing us forward. They're, they're actually restoration and healing for the creation order. When a, when a blind person is healed, when a dead person is raised, natural order is being restored and, and the goodness of God is being poured out. That was the way God wanted the world to be in the first place. And so it's not something to be shocked about. God's in the midst of doing his work and, and pointing us forward and restoring. I love what Jurgen Moltmann said. Listen to this. When Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he is driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring created things who are hurt and sick. 
the lordship of God to which the healings witness restores creation to health. Jesus' healing are not supernatural miracles in the natural world. They are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural and demonized and wounded. Finally, with the resurrection of Christ, the new creation begins, pars pro toto, with the crucified one. This miracle, this miracle is showing us that God is an enemy of suffering. He is an enemy of brokenness, and he is an enemy of pain, and that someday he is going to deal with it. He's going to correct it. And if we are on God's side, and, and, and if, if the church is on God's side, then we are going to be enemies of suffering, and we are going to do everything we can, everything possibly that we could do to alleviate suffering in our world. Do you see how this could give the future, the world, people in the world, a hope? There's one another direction that this miracle points us, and it's inward. So we have upward, and we have forward, and we have inward, and it's, it has to do with our spirituality. Spiritually, our blind eyes have to be opened. And spiritually, our souls, which are lame and paralyzed, have to be healed. And all of the miracles, they point to that. This miracle points to it in a very poignant way. Peter says to the man, listen, silver or gold I do not have. You have to understand, this guy is brought there every single day. He's got a cup. You can almost picture it. He's saying, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. Every day, people are walking by, and, and he's probably receiving their leftover change so that he might have some semblance of, uh, of livelihood, that he could live his life in some form or fashion. But what Peter says, silver or gold I don't have i don't have that to give to you what peter is saying is you are looking for something temporary you are looking for something that you think will actually help you you are looking for something that you think will satisfy your deepest need but peter says i have something better for you what you're looking for is temporary it's superficial it really can't satisfy what you're looking so you have to go deeper you have to dig deeper go deeper look deeper what you want from me is money that's fine that's fine, Peter says, but I'm not going to give that to you. I'm going to give you something much better. I'm going to give you something fuller. I'm, I'm going to give you something so much deeper. See, we all, have, we all have something that we think, if we can just get that, if we could just have that, my life would be better. If I could just buy that thing, if I could just move into that house, if I could just have that toy, if I could just get that job, if I could just, if I could just fill in the blank, I would be, and we think, fuller, happier, complete, satisfied. The problem with that is look around. Look around. There's probably people in your life who have the very thing that you want and ask yourself, how satisfied are they really? How full are they really? How complete are they really? And when we look around and we see the other people have the same things that we're longing for, the same things that we want, and we assume if we get them, we'll be happier. Look, are they happier? We need something more than physical healing. We need something more than money. We need something more than great relationships. We need restoration. And that's what this miracle is pointing us to, honestly. Physical healing without soul healing is nothing. As a matter of fact, it could potentially be very harmful if you have physical healing and no soul healing. I want you to understand something. Our enemy, Satan himself, he is willing, he is willing to alleviate your momentary pain and suffering so that he might have your entire soul. He's willing to alleviate for a moment your pain and your suffering and the and the, the, the 
uncertain circumstances that we live in so that he might have your life in eternal suffering. So I feel like Peter here. Silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, huh, I can tell you about Jesus. I can tell you about Jesus and I can tell you that he will absolutely, completely, 100% change your life and you will receive an inheritance and a guarantee to be fully restored that someday all of that suffering and all of that pain and all of the brokenness and all of the sickness and all of the disease and all the death, all of that will be reversed and all of that will be made right again. And as bad as the suffering is and as committed as God is to ending it, all of the suffering. Suffering is not our primary problem. Our primary problem is sin, and we need the right relationship with God to deal with it. We have to be reconciled with God, and we have to have a right heart, the, the heart filled absolutely with the love of God and the certainty of the love of God, and then, only then, will our greatest need, our deepest need, be satisfied and filled and fulfilled. Another way to put that is this. Suffering is bad it's not good pain and these are bad things unless we have a great relationship with God unless we God is the most important thing to us in our lives unless we are sure about the future with him unless we already have that love moving around in our heart then all of the suffering which is hard will be absolutely intolerable it is tolerable only when the love of God is in us and stirring in us when we with a confidence know what God is going to do in the future and in the end. And so let's look at this miracle as dealing with the spiritual needs that we have. Another direction and the final direction is this. It's downward. And it has to do with vulnerability. What do we do? What do we mean? What do I mean by downward? Have you noticed something about the miracles in the New Testament? Uh, whether they're done by Jesus or Peter or John or, or Paul or any of the other apostles, these miracles, these miracles make the miracle workers really vulnerable. The miracles always put the miracle worker in danger, in jeopardy, in a situation that's really completely vulnerable. You would think that Peter and John heal this man who had been brought there for years, potentially, for days at least, as a crippled man brought to the same place every day, shunned in society so much that he kept his head down. And so you picture this for a moment. And so Peter and John, they, they draw their attention to this man as he asks them for alms. And when he asks them for alms, Peter and John say, look at us. And for the first time, maybe in a long time, the man makes eye contact with another man. And Peter and John say, stand up, be strengthened and walk. And this man stands up and he can walk and he begins to leap with joy skipping and jumping and leaping around the temple court. And you would think, you would think that Peter and John would have been given a citizenship of the day award that day, that, that at least Peter would have been man of the year on the front of Time magazine that year. You would have thought for a moment, for a moment that somebody would have said, man, I am so glad that Peter and John have this thing called the Holy Spirit where they have the power of Jesus in them to heal this man, but they didn't. What we're gonna see in Acts chapter four, they are arrested and they are put in jail and things begin to shift in the early church. The early church has been gaining momentum 
momentum and great things have been happening. And because of the miracle in Acts, guess what? The miracle worker gets in trouble, gets put in jail. I mean, think about this. The grandest and maybe the, the biggest ultimate miracle of all times. The most incredible of all the miracles that happened in history in the universe when God put flesh on and became man and walked on earth. You think about that miracle? It made Jesus killable. Killable. His power comes into our lives through our weaknesses. We have to remember this. Then his power only comes into our life, into your life, if we are willing to be weak. We repent. We turn our life around. We surrender. And I know that some of these worlds, some of what I'm saying to you right now is if we're going to do the work of God, the way God wants us to do it, we're going to be in a very vulnerable situation. People are going to look at us and say, why are they doing that? People are going to ridicule you because you shouldn't be spending your money that way. People are going to condemn you because the poor should just take care of the poor. Let the, let the poor care for themselves, right? I mean, you can begin to picture all of this, but this is what I know. The power, the power works and comes inside our life when we are willing to go down, when we're willing to be vulnerable, when we are willing to be weak. If we're moving towards Jesus, we come to Jesus for strength. We have to go down. We have to become vulnerable. We have to be willing to repent. We have to be willing to admit that, that there's something wrong with us and that sometimes I might be wrong. We have to be willing to rest completely in him and depend on him and lose control of our own life his power doesn't come to us except through his weakness and our weakness and his power doesn't come into us except through our weakness and the power of jesus will not come through us into the rest of the world until we're willing to help suffering people through not our strength but through our weakness so let me make some application here. Healing for the world, real, authentic, true healing for the world will come as life and power and time and resources and money go out from us. Do miracles still happen today? Yeah, yeah. How? Well, healing happens to the world when as Christians, we allow our life to be poured out, our time to be poured out, our resources to be poured out, our money to be poured out, our power to be poured out. When we allow these things to be poured out of us, healing for the world will come. We're supposed to pour our lives out. And all of those things that I just mentioned have to be a genuine sacrifice. We have to enter into other people's pain and suffering and brokenness. We have to bear it and carry it with them. And guess what will happen? They will become healed through it. Here's the irony. The healing of the world the healing of the world comes through the sacrificial death of the church, the people. When the people say, I truly surrender myself at the foot of the cross. When Christians everywhere authentically and genuinely say, it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives within me. When that becomes true of us, we become conduits of healing as we allow our lives to be poured out for other people. No longer can the church, the Christian, walk by somebody who is suffering and say, I certainly hope somebody does something about that. 
We are the somebody. You are the somebody. We are the answer to healing that is so desperately needed in our world right now. There is someone right now you might need to forgive. And you know what I know about forgiveness? Forgiveness is going to cost you. It's going to require yourself to be poured out. <laughs> and yet God, God is going to bring life to you, to the person who needs forgiveness. He's going to bring life to the people around you who see this sacrificial act of forgiving. And when we sacrifice time and money, listen, it's not easy. It's not easy. Some of us, some of us, I, I know, we genuinely understand what sacrificial giving is. Many of us, honest, we give what's comfortable to give. I give what's comfortable so that my life, my life, isn't inconvenienced. I give to the church because the church should take care of the suffering. When's the last time you have suffered, you have sacrificed so that somebody else who is suffering might experience healing? When's the last time? Our, our suffering is going to help bring people to Jesus. How we suffer is how we suffer. How you suffer, how I suffer is going to show the world that we have a deeper joy than what the pleasures of this world can ever give us. Our suffering is going to show the world that we have a deeper joy than what the grave threatens against us. Occasionally, people say, well, do modern-day healings happen like that in the book of Acts? Yeah, they do. But this is what I need you to understand. When this the miracle happened, maybe at best the church was 10,000 people strong. I just read this week that 32% of our country claims to be Democrat and 31% claims to be Republican, but 65% claims to be Christian. Now, 65% of the 300 million people in our country, here's the question. What need, what need is there with that many Christians to do these kind of miracles when you and me, Christians, we're the hope carriers. We suffer and we sacrifice to bring healing to the brokenness in our world. That's who we are. Our mission is dependent on healings. My answer is yes. There should be more healings than there's ever been. We should have tons of people who are broken should be healed. People who are in pain should be, their pain should be alleviated. The suffering should be alleviated. How? Through you and through me, the power of Jesus in us making a difference. So listen, the church, the church should be known. The church should be known as a place where healing for every broken thing in our world, the church should be known as a place where healing can be found. We should be known to bring healing into our neighborhoods and into our homes and into our communities, into our cities and across the world. We are witnesses, which means that we will warn and we will preach to people. But we will warn and we will preach with massive outpourings of love. And the people in our city will say about us, I don't believe what they believe, but I am absolutely glad they are here. How does that look? 
What should the community be able to say about us? What should we be able to say to our community? When people say, listen, I need community. I need a place to belong. We should be able to say, we'll help. When people say we need counseling, we'll help. I need job training, we'll help. I need an ESL class, we'll help. I need groceries, we'll help. I need rehabilitation, we are here to help. We need medical care, we'll help. I need a safe place to go, we're here, we'll help. I need parenting skills, we'll help. I need friendship, we'll help. I need a place where I can share my doubts and faith and and my struggles and faith, we'll help. Have an addiction, we'll help. Struggling and your marriage is beginning to fall apart, we'll help. Need a new start, we'll help. Want, want to help other people? We'll help you with that. We'll help. N.T. Wright says this in Surprised by Hope. He says, and of course, evangelism. Evangelism, which will flourish best if the church simultaneously is, is proclaiming the message. What's the message? He's alive. He's building his kingdom here now. He's alive. When the, when the church is giving itself to the works of justice, what are the works of justice? Putting things in, in the rights in the community. And then when the, when the church is giving itself to the works of beauty, meaning highlighting glory of creation and the glory yet to be revealed, guess what? Evangelism will always happen with a surprise. All of the miracles actually do the same thing. All of them. What do they do? They point upward. The miracles remind us that we can trust the gospel is from Jesus. Miracles point us forward, which means that we must join God, partner with God, and be an enemy of suffering in this world because I want to be on the winning side. And because God is against it. And if God is against the suffering of the world, I should be against the suffering in the world. If I'm with God then I'm doing everything I can to alleviate the suffering in the world. The miracles point inward, meaning that we have to really see what our real need is. What really we need is a personal relationship with God where he's challenging us. We need our sin forgiven. We need our sin dealt with. All of that's more immediate than our temporary suffering. Lastly, they point downward. What does that mean? Look, look where Jesus went for you. Look downward. Now, it's our job to go and do likewise. I hope you're challenged to the core. I do. I hope that this week your world is rocked by the Holy Spirit when you see a suffering person and you determine with a clear conscience that somebody else can deal with that problem. I hope that when you see suffering this week, when you see brokenness, you experience a brokenness that's like God's brokenness. I know that that's harsh and dangerous to say. But listen, Christian, The world will only experience healing when we decide to pour ourselves out. So we're going to sing a song. We're going to pray. We're going to have communion. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our own souls right now. Let's sing.